Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray sits down with Todd Gongwer, founder of Cardia Transformation Group. You have to forgive. I love to use the example. I can run pretty fast with this weight in my hand, and I can jump pretty high. I can carry it the rest of my life if I have to, I guess. But I'll never run as fast or jump as high as long as I'm carrying that weight. That's unforgiveness. You've got to let it go. There is a process out there that you can follow. There is healing and forgiveness that can take place as a result of healing. I've been there, done that. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the program where we love to bridge that gap between faith and leadership in the marketplace. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. And we have had the opportunity here at Bottom Line Faith to interview some of the most amazing and godly leaders who are living out their faith in the marketplace. We have these conversations for you, to help you grow in your faith, to help you live out your faith on a daily basis. And these speakers, they teach us how they've been through the ups and downs, the difficult seasons of their life and in their leadership, but most importantly, how their faith continues to shape, mold, and guide them on a daily basis. Today, I am in Wakarusa, Indiana. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Wakarusa, Indiana, we're just a little bit outside of South Bend, the home of Notre Dame. And so if you're a regular listener here, you know I am a big Notre Dame football fan. We are speaking to Todd Gongwer. He was the founder at the Cardia Transformation Group. Todd, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thank you, Ray. It's great to be here. Well, Todd, we've had a chance to get to know each other over the last few months, and let's just help our audience understand a little bit. Let's start with what it is you do here at Cardia. How did you start the organization? What are you trying to accomplish? That kind of thing. And then we'll get into your personal background. Well, it's kind of an accidental process all along, but uh, um, I, back in 2009, felt really called to to write this book, uh, felt like God had kind of laid the title of Lead for God's Sake on my heart. Um, and when the season was right to, to actually begin to put the pen to the paper, so to speak, as that book became a reality and began to kind of move throughout, you know, different, different pockets around the country kind of organically, I, you know, again, was asked to speak a lot and was asked to begin to work more and more with organizations, with teams on the topic of leadership, the topic of, you know, really character development within that context, and then ultimately cultural development um, in the broader sense um, around that that subject of leading in the in the right ways and ultimately for the right reasons. So that's kind of the heart of how Cardia came about was I guess out of necessity more than anything else, I needed an organization to to operate 
all of these things through. Well, and the word cardia, let's talk about that just for a second. The root of that, the origin of that is? Yeah, the Greek. it's the Greek term that, that Jesus used frequently uh, in, in reference to the heart. And, and really, his use, for the most part, was the, this all-encompassing thing, the really, the will, the emotions, the, the soul, all of that. When he spoke of cardia, often that's what he was talking about, the, the whole heart. Yeah. And so I love that term. And you mentioned a moment ago the book, the book that you wrote that God put on your heart. Tell us the title and what's the theme, that's the message that you want your readers to get in your book. Yeah, so it's it's a parable called Lead for God's Sake, and it's a, a parable for finding the heart of leadership. And and uh, interestingly, I thought, again, when I set out to write, I thought I was supposed to write this whole cultural transformation process, and thankfully God had a different plan. And so the theme for this one, really, I, I, I had planned on, again, going in this broad journey, this, you know, step-by-step process. And what ended up happening was is as I began to write, as I began to feel called to write it as a story, which, again, I had no clue how to write fiction before this happened. But as it came out, it became very clear that this was this was supposed to be a story about the most foundational aspect of leadership, which is purpose. Why do we really do what we do? Why are we here on this earth? And so the central theme, more than anything else, begins there, you know, begins with leadership, coming from influence, from from your words, attitudes, behaviors, and all those other things, but ultimately being founded in this, you know, why am I really here? Why am I on this, why am I on this earth? And am I, am I living? Am I pursuing all of my pursuits in alignment with that? The, the other thing I'll tell you really quick is, again, when people ask me about it, it's about pursuits and a pursuits that all of us battle. We all are, are pursuing something in this life. Right. The challenge is, can we, can we stay focused on pursuing the great things in life and not at the expense of the best things in life. Yeah. And since the writing of this book, the Lord has really opened up an amazing platform for you, uh, you know, particularly in the world of athletics and business. And I, I'm just taking a look here at some of the, the teams and the schools and the organizations that you've had a chance to uh, speak to and coach and minister, uh, minister through your book and speaking. Uh, just a partial list, uh, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Baylor, uh, Virginia, Ole Miss, Clemson, UCLA, Indiana, Michigan State, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, on and on and on. And then, of course, professional teams, Kansas City Royals, Pittsburgh Pirates, the Indianapolis Colts, In Business, Home Depot, Farm Bureau, Thrivent Financial, Tyson Foods, Chick-fil-A, on and on. How how did you get into the speaking into this? So your background, you were not like a corporate trainer. You Walk us through prior to writing the book, what you did professionally, and then how has this journey been for you to now have this amazing platform that God's opened up? Yeah, it's so it's such a cool—I um, think that's a, a really cool part of the, the story is for years and years and years, all I really ever wanted to be was a coach, um, a basketball coach. I, um, In fact, when I was probably 14 or 15, that was my main goal in life. I was be- going to become this big-time, you know, Final Four college basketball coach, and and I had the opportunity at a young age to become an assistant basketball coach at, at the NAI level, Bethel College. And then um, that was all through the 90s. At the same time, I grew up as a part of a family business. And when you're, when you're assistant coach at the NAI level, you typically keep your day job. Yeah. So the cool, the cool thing for me is I had to do that. I had to do both. I had to be run parallel in both those worlds for, you know, 11, 12 years. And um, now it wasn't a good thing for my balance. Thankfully, I kind of opened my eyes to where 
you know, it was a big part of the story and me learning the hard way mm-hmm. of getting out of balance. But the equipping part of that, that God's plan was, is, is to really give me a cool perspective in both the sports world and the business world at the same time for a long time. From that, when I really felt called to walk away from the sports world in early 2000, from that point, I was brought into a, a, a large organization by the CEO that that really had a heart change and wanted to see a cultural change. And again, this was one of those things where I had been I had been obsessively studying the subject. I'd been writing on the topic of leadership and cultural transformation a lot and applying those things in both my team's that I was influenced in sports and my teams in business. And now this was a chance to take it kind of to another level and mm-hmm. really flesh those things out and come up with new opportunities. And as I did that, that was about a, um, there was a three-year period with this company, which was a private equity-owned company, eventually was bought by our largest competitor, which was a public company. And so for another couple of years there, that was kind of the the opportunity to really, you know, solidify a lot of these philosophies that I felt God had laid on my heart which again led to Todd write this book, which I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, yeah. and, and we did that. Again, didn't plan on writing it as a fiction. That was got, you know, got it a different plan, thankfully. Wrote it as a fiction. And as it started going out, again, it, it, I self-published it at first. And so it really wasn't a, it was a word of mouth thing. People just began to yeah. hand it out. And as more and more people began to read it, began to give more copies for their teams, more and more people began to come to me going, hey, we want you to come in and talk to our teams. We want you to work with our teams. And again, both in the business and sports world. So kind of an accidental author and an accidental founder of this company, both uh, both yeah. ways, and an, and an accidental speaker in a lot of ways, too. So. Well, accident maybe in your mind, but God, no surprises there, right? Absolutely. He, he didn't yes. uh, wake up and hit himself in the forehead yeah. and say, how did this come about, right? Yes. So, so take me back. What was the very first speaking opportunity you were given that it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go speak to, and it like blew you away that you found out that's where you were going. Do you, do you remember who that or where that was? Oh man. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I know the final four, which was way back, it was back in 2012, spring of 2012. Yeah. Was a pretty, I mean, I spoke to, you know, I can remember sitting on stage that actually did a panel where Ernie Johnson hosted the uh-huh. event and Tony Bennett and Buzz Williams and a number of other pretty successful coaches were on stage all talking about my book. And, you know, I can remember sitting there with those guys looking out at, I remember like Johnny Dawkins and like a bunch of my childhood heroes, some of uh-huh. you know, that are coaches now that were in the audience and thinking, wow, this is, this is crazy that I'm yeah. I'm not supposed to be. I felt a little bit like an imposter. I was like, I, I don't know that I should be up here. But, uh-huh. but it was really, that was a cool experience. And then all the teams have been great. I mean, obviously Clemson and Virginia and yep, yep. Like those, those teams were great. But the other one, it was a really cool one. I did, I did an event where it was John Maxwell and I were the two, were, were both speaking. And so it was cool to, a little intimidating, obviously, to sure. speak with him sitting on the front row listening to me. So that was, that's kind of cool too, because obviously I've read 
ton of his stuff. So God's brought you down this amazing journey. We learned a little bit about your corporate background, learned a little bit about what led you to write the book. I'd like to now transition our conversation to really the heartbeat of what you're about is leadership. So as you get a chance, uh, you're talking in athletic settings, you're talking in business settings. What do you see as the bridge in the, the world of athletics and the world of business? What's common around the issues of leadership? And then are there any distinctives that come to mind? Because our audience, primarily business leaders that, that check out the, the program here at Bottom Line Faith, but what are some of the commonalities in leadership? Or maybe there, there are no difference. I don't know. Just kind of talk to us a little bit. You're in the sports world. You're in the business world. What are you seeing? Uh, people. <laughs> That's the biggest commonality, obviously. Yeah. Um, no, I think, you know, leadership is a uh, – and again, I'll, I'll go back to my days even as a coach and in the business world. Probably about 1995, I went on an obsessive journey to read – you know, my goal back then was to read 500 leadership books. Okay. And I did that – again, I tell people all the time, out of necessity more than anything else because I saw the common thread – the, the threat of, okay, here we are as a group of people, and every single person in here has an influence. Some of them understand that they have that influence and value that influence. Some of them have no clue to the extent to which they have the opportunities to influence. And yet they're all influencing. And how do you broaden that reach of influence within an organization? Same thing with a team. You got a freshman that comes in or a red shirt or somebody that's injured and again, their tendency is to go, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not really a leader because – and they underestimate – as a result of that, they underestimate the impact that they can have. And the great teams, and especially now as I can look back on my journey and working with some of the greatest teams, some of the most successful teams in, in, in athletics especially, you know, they got it from top to bottom. They got it that this leadership thing applies to all of us. And the sooner we can all grasp the role we play, the fact that we all have an opportunity to influence with our words, attitudes, and behaviors and, and shape our culture in some way, shape, or form, the sooner we're going to pull together and become that team that we're striving to be. So I, I see that that's so applicable, whether it's yeah. you know, from the CEO to the, to the, the line worker or the you – know, everybody has a role in it. And, man, we, we need to we need to – start there first and foremost, I think, as much as anything else. So what are some of the traits that you, as you, you study, you've read hundreds of books, as you just described. You're talking and working with some of the best athletic programs um, at a college level, professional level, top corporations. What are some of the traits that you're seeing or that you have learned that are always consistent with the top and best leaders? Well, I, I, for me personally, I think there's a, and I'm going to talk about, the, I believe the best of the best. Now, I, I, this is, success is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. You right. have to define it. Right. And there are a number of ways to be successful as our culture defines it. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a, a preface my thing with, I define success done in a way that brings not just happiness, but joy and peace. Mm-hmm. And it's it's deeper. It's about relationships. It's about what we've accomplished together. It's not a self-centered thing. It's an other-centered thing. 
And when I start there, I will go to, and again, you know, we can talk about, because it's recent, Clemson is a perfect example. When you listen to Dabo Sweeney and you, you know, I had the opportunity to be around him, spend time with him and watch him with his coaches, watch him with his players and interact with those guys. And there's a deep sense of peace and joy that he carries. Now, you and I know this is a faith-based podcast. You and I know where that comes from. Yeah. He knows ultimately where that's from. He has that. And again, I believe that that's a separator. I believe that when you watch him, doesn't mean he's going to win every game, but how he goes about his day-to-day is amazing. And you see the peace in his heart when he wins. And you also see the peace in his heart when he loses. And Tony Bennett's another example that we can see um, from a basketball, the head coach at, at Virginia. Last year they went through, you know, what'll be arguably, it'll go down in history as one of the yeah. most, you know, infamous losses of all time. Yeah, one versus a 16 one, one, loss. And it was, yeah. the, it was the top one versus the bottom 16. I mean, it was yeah. like, yeah. it was a storybook thing. And yet yeah. I know Tony well, and I know the peace in his heart. And I know, you know, if you watch him, and, mo- and, and, and America basketball fans anyway saw how he handled it. Yeah. And there was a there was a foundational piece that he walked in that was the same in that moment as it would be, you know, it doesn't mean he's deeply disappointed and hurt, but a piece nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is really a great separator when we're when we're leading with a genuine desire to impact the heart in the ultimate way. And we know what that is. I mean, the, not just a, an earthly perspective, but an internal perspective. When we are leading with that genuine desire, it interestingly brings about a peace that surpasses all understanding. You yeah. might recognize where that came from, yeah. too. Right, right, right out of words. <laughs> right, so, that's exactly right. Well, could we, let's just talk about that for a second, because there's there's probably someone listening to this conversation right now. Maybe they're a business owner, they're an executive, they're a leader. For that matter, they might even be a student. They might be a student athlete. We have a pretty diverse audience here. But let's just say that they're really discouraged right now, and they're just not seeing the results. They're not getting the wins. Their business isn't growing like they would hope. It's not as profitable as they would like. Maybe they're just not getting the results, whatever. What encouragement would you have for them as a leader through the Word of God? What encouragement would you have for them as they're listening to this conversation? Well, a couple things that I've experienced in my own life, and, and you know, one that jumps out first and foremost is Paul when he talked about thorn in his side, and, and ultimately that discussion that he had. Please take it away. And the the powerful statement in that was, "My strength is made perfect in your weakness." That's such a hard thing for us to grasp, but ultimately God is in control. His ways are higher than our ways, and you know, often there are seasons I believe where He wants to allow us to go through those times where we truly understand how great, how much greater his strength is when we can yeah. come to grips with our own weakness. And and that's not always fun. Um, I, I've just not too distant past gone through some really difficult times in my own life. And I know that was one thing that I really had to, um, to cling to during that time and, and, and remind myself that, you know what, Todd, you're going through health problems or financial problems or relational problems around you, his grace, I mean, he, he's there for you. His grace is enough, and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Um, I think that's a that's a huge one and, and been a, a big encouragement to me. Hmm. I think another one 
that I always talk about Philippians. I love Philippians, but Philippians 4, 4 through 13. Not just Philippians 13. We love every athlete, yeah, every I can leader. Do all things. Yeah, yeah we, everybody yeah. has that on their shoe because they think it's going to help them get a touchdown. I, they, I always say, look, you, you make sure you understand the full context of what that's yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you back up, and even going back all the way to verse 4, Paul talks about being joyful in everything. He talks about be anxious for nothing and everything. And then he talks about thanksgiving, being thankful. And then he talks about the peace of God, which passes all understanding. If, if you're heading that direction, you're going to experience that peace. Then he goes into contentment. And he goes, I've learned the secret. I've learned what it means to have a lot and have nothing. And I've found it right there. I mean, it's him. And then through all things, I can do all things through Christ. Just thanks to me. I mean, like, that's the culmination. But make sure you read the backstory. Yeah, there was a process to get <laughs> yeah, there, right? Yeah, because he was talking about contentment and, and not just, this is going to help me. There's not a slam on, you know, that scripture is powerful and we should use it. But I, I always encourage people, man, what was he really talking about? And that was an encouragement to me in tough times. I hope that's encouraging That's fantastic. And as I'm listening, that even reminds me so often, we one of the other most quoted things we hear is out of Jeremiah, where I know the plans I have for you, plans for a hope and a future, for prospering and not to harm, and those. But they, we forget to read the context that he is speaking to the Israelites when they're in captivity and bondage. Yeah. It's not a winning season, so to speak. They're 0-16. Yeah. And they're yeah. holding on to God's promise, yeah. and that's what you're talking yeah. about. Is, yeah, I can do all things through Christ, but there's Thanksgiving, and there's patience, and totally. ups and downs, and all that, right? And, and even in that scripture that you, you know, yeah. he says, you'll find me when you seek me, yeah. and you seek me with all of your heart. All your heart. That's such a, again, where are we with that, especially today? Yeah. Where are we with that? I mean, that's that's a challenge for all of us. Yeah. So... Yeah. Good stuff. So, Todd, if someone wants to learn more about you, your organization, get a copy of your book, Lead for God's Sake, what's the best way for someone to find you? Well, you visit the website, obviously. It's cardiatg.com, which is, again, it's K-A-R-D-I-A-T-G.com, Cardiac right. Transformation Group. That one, you know, will direct you to almost any place. The book you can get, it's in most bookstores throughout the country, so you can get it almost anywhere. Again, it's Lead for God's Sake, and it has a, I've got a book website for that, too, that you can Fantastic. find stuff. And, and, of course, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm pretty—there's not a lot of Todd Gongwars out there, so if you just <laughs> look up that that name, you'll find me on, on most of those social media platforms, too. Yeah. So, Todd, I want to just vicariously live through your eyes for just a moment. Let's just imagine that you— well, recently you've spoken, you know, like I said, Clemson, Oklahoma, some of these different schools and programs. But as you are in front of these young leaders, these young, amazing, high-capacity human beings, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing? I know you talk a lot about like digital and social media and some of those things, but maybe we'll talk about that. But what are what are some of the challenges you see facing our young emerging leaders? Well, one of the big ones right now, and I think this has to do with a broader cultural I don't know, I hate to call it a trend because I think this is just it's it's flows from human nature. But we are we are so inundated and I think young people are seeing this a lot. And it's this is related to some of the digital media stuff that we can go into, but uh, we're we're inundated with a world where people are responding to tough stuff. People are responding in a in a bitter, hate, anger driven way in a lot of cases. And the issue of forgiveness, I believe, is just 
and we're leaving it behind, the issue of taking responsibility for your own contribution to issues, we're losing all of that. And because all of, you know, again, the majority of digital media wants to wants you to see the fight. And as they show the fight, they show the blame game. Nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. And nobody's talking about the root of that, which ultimately that blame game, that that fight, in a lot of cases, there's so many valid issues at stake. And those issues are coming from a deep place of hurt. And in any issue that you can see our broader culture dealing with, right? They're coming from a deep place of hurt where there was wrongs. But the answer to that we know is forgiveness. And for all of us, it's forgiveness. It's a choice. The number one we love, even as a broader culture now, right now, we love to talk about love. Oh, the answer loves the answer loves you. And I and I totally did, I totally agree with that. What we don't talk about is the number one constraint to love being an unwillingness to forgive. And you're not going to be walking in genuine love if you're unforgiving. So you can say all you want on your Twitter account or on any of these other places that loves the answer, loves the answer, loves the answer. But if you are walking in hatred to somebody and carrying bitterness and unforgiveness, you are not genuinely loving, period, and again. And we need to teach young people that. And so I'm glad you asked that because that's it, – and it's interesting because the last year, I think the first time I was talking to the – I think it was the Arkansas football team this year, the first time where I just – I went off – I mean just completely went – deep into that topic because I just felt like this is such a huge issue right now. And we've got a lot of young people that are out there just going, this is the, what's the answer to deal with it? Hate, anger, revenge. And as long as we go down that path as an, as a broader culture in our country, we are never going to solve anything. And so again, my challenge, whether I'm in high schools, colleges, you know, wherever I'm at, and again, 80% of the time in public settings, I'm still challenging them. You have to forgive. It's it's the weight, you know, and I, I love to use the example, carrying the weight. I can run pretty fast with this weight in my hand and I can jump pretty high. I can carry it the rest of my life if I have to, I guess, but I'll never run as fast or jump as high as long as I'm carrying that weight because it's it, that's unforgiveness. You've got to let it go. You've got to learn to let it. And that's... A, that's a challenge. That's a process we know as, yeah. you know, we've all, we've all been hurt. We've all, but uh, there is a process out there that you can follow and there is, for, you know, there is healing and forgiveness that, that can take place as a result of healing. I've been there, done that, and uh, it's a great need in our culture right now. Well, that that is really powerful, and we we know biblically why that is so critical and so so sound. And yet, to your point, we live in a culture that's not real quick to go there. You know, social media—it's all about getting your voice out there. You know, it's my voice, my brand, my image, my followers, and so forth. And forgiveness is letting go of what I'm trying to hold on to. Right? It, it really is. So, would you would you just speak a little bit more? I know you're passionate about this. You talk a lot about this what young young leaders are dealing with. You talked about forgiveness and so forth. But you're really passionate about the impact of digital and social media on our on our young people. Can, can you speak to that and share a little bit about that? Yeah. I think it's it's interesting because, again, I think as I said at the beginning, one of the reasons what I just spoke about is such a serious issue is because digital media now with the smartphone is it's a 24-7 thing. It didn't used to be that way. There were just, there were, you know, when I was growing up, 
there were so many opportunities to be away. I mean, you still watch TV, you still watch movies, you still play, played video games, but it wasn't with you everywhere you went. Today, when a kid finishes a practice, for instance, the minute he gets into his locker or her locker, they check their cell phone. The minute they walk out of the locker room, they're looking down at, and they're and they're in a, and they're another conversation in another world somewhere else. And the danger, the real danger in that is, is what I like to you know always talk to groups about is, you know, every form of digital media has you know driving it an agenda. It's either to monetize, desensitize, polarize, or politicize, and sometimes all four of those. And I think those. Those really sum up. Now, there's a lot more that are, you know, that drive these these platforms. But if you look at, you know, again, especially social media, but yeah. video games, they all have to make money, and I get that. Unfortunately, what we've done is, and and it's one of the one of the guys that helped create Facebook has recently come out and confirmed this. One of the founders of the smartphone, or one of the guys that developers of the smartphone, and one of the, the developers is an article where he talks about waking up in a cold sweat at night. Because he said his, his comment, this is one of the guys that helped create the smartphone. He said, we were a bunch of 20-somethings in a room that didn't have any kids. And so when we decided to go to, you know, take advantage of this, of this social validation feedback loop that becomes very addictive because of the dopamine release, when we decided to do that, we were just thinking, eyeballs, that's what sells. We've got to have eyeballs. Well, how do we, addic- how do we lock them into this thing? Now we're 30s and we have kids and we're seeing it firsthand and we're going, what did we bring to the world? And it's pretty telling when you got guys and gals from some of these major technology platforms that, you know, it was all about the dollar. It was all about the dollar. And how can we, and and now they're going, what do we, and it's the same thing when you, when you look at those agendas, you know, those four main agendas that I said come from that, hey, you know, desensitizing you. We want you to think everybody's doing it and draw you into something a little more edgy. That's our mm-hmm. human nature sometimes to be drawn to those things. Polarizing, fight. Everybody wants to see a fight. That's our human nature. And politicizing is the biggest fight going right now. But man, when when will we wake up as a society and go, wait a minute, this? what are we doing to the next generation? Yeah. I mean, let's, for a second, can we can we just pause and say, is it really worth... The monetization that this is causing for my platform, for my news, whatever it is. And like I said, when I'm speaking to young people today, I'm saying, listen, I'm not here to tell you how to think. I can't tell you what opinion to have. One way. I have an agenda too. But what I am telling you is you'd be wise to learn what the agenda driving the platform is. Chick-fil-A has an agenda. It's very clear. It's up in their wall. It's a, and if you don't want any part of that agenda, then you, you see it, you don't expose yourself to going and eating that delicious food and getting that great service. The scary thing is, is most people don't know that Twitter has just as strong of an agenda. And so does Apple. And so does Facebook. And so do, and all you have to do is look behind the curtain to see who is really running these companies. Who have they hired to really run the algorithms within these companies? What message do they want to be most prevalent? And so the thing I tell kids all the time, the thing that says trending in the USA today and what's news today is not necessarily what's trending to 330 million people. And it's not trending news 
to 330 million people. So just don't be deceived. Just know where the source, yeah. what the agenda driving the source is. They're you trying tell, to take you somewhere. You can, t- you can tell, Ray, this no, one gets me. Great, it, yeah. it's, this is such a powerful thing happening to our society right now, and we've got to educate our young people. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've got business leaders listening to this who have new emerging leaders coming into their company. What advice or encouragement could you give? You know, I'm 53, so, you know, the, let's say the, the old guys and gals like me, the 35 to 60-year-olds that are in the, those senior leadership and businesses, and how do we combat this? How can we be wise about this? Because minds are literally being captured. Absolutely. I, you know, I, the same thing that I, that I tell teams and coaches to do a lot, I, I, I advise in businesses, I say you create B-zones. And, and what the message behind that is, you know, we've never had more of an opportunity to not be where we are. So a B zone is an area in the organization, a, a, a boardroom where we say, you know what, there's no, cell, there's no cell phones in here. We know you all have an important job, but for the next hour, you're going to sit in here and this assistant's out there or this person's out there that if there's an emergency and somebody needs contact, that they can contact them. But you don't need to be checking your phone for the next hour. And just let's be with each other. And even in, in social, creating social opportunities with the organization to build teamwork again creating b zones and b moments that hey you know what in this particular dinner let's put them away and let's be with each other so i I encourage organizations to do that i also encourage them to to talk about and and begin to educate like even the what i just said there with teams all the time i tell the the sports teams i say you have to educate the kids and you have to educate the parents with with a lot of what I just you know that's just a short mm-hmm. small version of it, but they need to know that they need to know the social validation feedback loop is a human nature thing that that can lead to a ad- very very addictive behavior that all of us every every person is wired with that desire for social validation. So this we're not messing with something that just ten percent of the population has a you know has a tendency that they could you know, be in danger. Yeah, right, right. We're talking about 99%. All of us. So, you know, educating and, and some of those things I think are very important too. That is really, really fantastic. And and uh, I think that right there is a very practical takeaway. We, we've started doing this in our home with our kids. You know, we're going to have conversation, all technology away from it and not allowed at the table, those kinds of things. You know, we're here to connect. Mm. We're here to connect. And I think we have to be very diligent and very intentional about this. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And so tell us the website one more time, Todd. It's a Cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A-T-G.com. Cardia, T-G.com. Todd, we're, we're in the home stretch of our conversation here. I kind of call this kind of the advice section. So this is always the last part of the conversation. So I'd love to hear, if you could think back, what's the best advice you were ever given? And how's it impacted you today? Hmm. That's a hard one for me to answer because I feel like so many books have yeah. impacted me yeah. so deeply. You know, I think the advice, and I'll, I'll just go back to my upbringing and my parents, put Christ first in your life, you know, and, and that came, that advice came over a course of, over the course of years, but was a consistent piece of advice. To me, that supersedes everything yeah. else. And if, if that's, if that's the foundation Everything else is is uh, secondary yeah. to that. Absolutely. So put Christ first. And then now I want you to go back to when you first started your company, first started your organization. 
What do you wish someone had told you about that first year of being in business? Oh, man. Um, let's see. That's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I should I, – I, um, don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, partner up with somebody uh, from the very beginning. You know, that's a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You know, having that's been probably the biggest challenge in this thing. And again, like I told you, it was kind of an accidental yeah. process, anyways. But that's been also the toughest part. Is is uh, in a lot of cases, it's it's felt like being the lone ranger in a lot of times. And I think you have to you, you have to be intentional surrounding yourself with with people, no matter what it takes. And so I grew up as a part of a family business. Yeah. Yep. So I experienced a lot of horror stories my whole life in family, you know, in businesses yeah, you've and seen stuff. It just, yeah, yeah. So starting it, I kind of knew, I, I kind of, I went into it knowing, yeah. you know, you've seen the sausage made. This is a tough road. I was almost <laughs> 40 when I, when I founded this one. So I, I, I'd been through it and knew it was going to be tough. So not easy. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. And that's really, we're hoping that's an encouragement to others, right? Because we love to ask that question because it's always what we know after the fact that becomes yeah. so the most valuable things that we learn and can pass along. So, well, we are at the end of our conversation. I'm so grateful that you've been with us here at Bottom Line Faith. I, I, I've been blessed and encouraged. I, I am quite confident those who are listening to this have been as well. So the last question, Todd, and it's based out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is another advice question, you know, where, where Solomon writes these words. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life. And so, Todd, I want you to just imagine that uh, you have a chance at the tail end of your life on this side of eternity, and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those who are most precious to you. And you're going to now pass along the single most important advice that you want them to remember after you're gone. And that's the advice I want you to pass along to our audience here. So finish the sentence for me. Above all else, uh, live your life in alignment with your ultimate purpose here on this earth. God loves you. He made you for relationships. Don't ever pursue anything at the expense of those relationships, first with him and then with others. That's solid. That's it. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what else I could add to that. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a lot to that. That's that's easier said than done, as we all know in our pursuits. But that's, yeah, that one came to my mind. That's, man. Yeah, that's good. Todd Gonger, thank you for being our guest here at Bottom Line Faith. Right. Thank you for, for doing what you're doing, for sharing the messages that you share. And Really, really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today. Loved it. Had a blast with you. I did, too. It's an honor. Well, folks, there's another episode of Bottom Line Faith, the program here where we love to bridge the gap between faith and leadership in the marketplace. We trust and pray that you've been encouraged by our conversation with Todd today. And uh, hey, if it's the first time you've listened to the program, check out the website, bottomlinefaith.org. You can see dozens and dozens of interviews there featuring uh, top CEOs and celebrities and athletes from around the country, where we, every time, we just love to learn how their faith is impacting their leadership, just like the conversation today. And these are highest level leaders impacting culture for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not a subscriber, we'd encourage you to become one on your iTunes, on the uh, Google Play, Stitcher, all the podcast platforms. The number one thing you can do to help the program is give us a review. That's how we can increase our exposure and awareness of the program. The more of you who are out there talking about the program, the more people get exposed to it. So until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, here at Bottom Line Faith, encouraging you to live out your faith each day in the marketplace. 
Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 